Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another super fragilistic episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna. And Maria here. And we are so excited to have Matthew Delman on today. He's the Director of Product Marketing at Looking Glass Cyber. But I'm sorry, Matthew, before we get into that, we just have to plug just one more time that Cyber Marketing Con is happening and Maria is doing a lot of arm motions, you all can't see it. it, is happening November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia, right across the bridge from DC. And we would love to see you there. Please visit the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's website, cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and snag a ticket. And I know you already heard this in the pre-roll, but we got to say it again because it's just going to be that awesome. All right. Now back, and I'm sorry, back to Matt. Matt, how are you? Thank you for being on the show. I'm good, Gianna. You're very welcome. I am happy to be here. Awesome. You're laughing. <laughs> Who's laughing already? This is so funny because in our pre-recording call, we had a few laughs, so we're still laughing from that. But let's bring the fun to the actual episode. Let's get into it. Let's, get, okay. let's carry the energy. All right. So Matt, you're here to talk about sales enablement. Yes. Why is sales enablement like one of your favorite topics? There's a couple of reasons. I am the son of a teacher. My mother has been a teacher for decades. She tried to convince me to go into education, but I told her no. So of course, obviously now, as I close out my 30s, I am teaching salespeople. So clearly, my mother is right. <laughs> of course, I never tell her this because then she's insufferable for like a couple of weeks afterwards. She's way too proud of herself when I admit that she's right. Anyway, sales enablement is really one of my favorite topics because it is so critical from the perspective of making sure that your message is getting out consistently in the marketplace. There's all of the marketing that we do in product marketing. And I've worked in content marketing for one decade, a little over a decade, I'm not that old. <laughs> and when you get that one-to-many messaging out there, you need to have it supported all the way through the buyer journey. And really, the only way that you can do that is by training sales on your messaging, on the materials that they can use, and ensure this consistent flow that even if you're not using the same words, you are touching on the same concepts. So when your buyers read your content or they download a white paper or they go to an event, then when they're contacted by your salesperson, they get just an extension of that same message. So that's really why sales enablement is one of my favorite topics and why I view it as like so critically important. 
Matt, give us a specific example, either from your current role or maybe previous role on that disconnective messaging, like literally, okay, white paper says this, and then sales outreach says this. Okay. So a couple of companies ago, my first job in cybersecurity, Morphosec, an endpoint protection platform, not really an endpoint protection platform, more about breach prevention, but that's beside the point. They started off positioning the product as talking about the technology, which was this system called moving target defense. And there was a lot of education that went into the sales calls for educating what moving target defense was, but really those didn't really have good deal cycles because there was way too much education in the sales call to even get them to understand why they would need to have this technology in the first place. Marketing had transitioned away from talking explicitly about moving target defense, but many of the sales team were at that time still focused on what the technology was. Oh, yeah, I see it. Uh Yeah, so there was a disconnect because marketing had shifted less toward talking about the technology, which I mean, let's be honest here, no one gives a shit about your product. They care about (laughs) what it can do for them. I can curse on this, right? Hell this is yeah. Explicit? Okay. No, great. you're not allowed. You'll have to. Uh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So <laughs> the editor's going to have fun with it. $5 uh, <laughs> every time. is <laughs> a curse word. So we can yeah. pay for cyber marketing con. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So that's really kind of where the disconnect comes up. Like it's where sales is talking about one thing, marketing's made a pivot and the communication hasn't really happened, which can be a couple of different problems. It can be a disconnect in sales and marketing alignment. It can be a disconnect in training. It can be a disconnect even at the cultural level where the salespeople are not incentivized to push the message that marketing is trying to define. There's a couple of different reasons why that can happen, but sales enablement ultimately in a culture that supports it, really kind of counters that impulse. Matt, you mentioned sales cycle. And so I imagine there is a connection there, like a direct connection with good sales enablement and faster sales cycle. Yes, there can be. If you think about it from the perspective of sales enablement is about training your sales team to make sure they're confident in talking about your solution, but it's also making sure that they can find the collateral that they need when a prospect asks for it, and that they're not constantly creating one-off materials. So this is kind of the ranty part that I get into here. (laughs) My opinion is that If a sales professional can't find what they're looking for in three minutes or less, they're not going to bother looking for it anymore. Now, every time I think about sales enablement and working on sales enablement, that is always my goal. And that is always like my stated SLA to salespeople. And this is the part that they love where I emphasize it's like, I don't expect you to know where everything is. It's my, I don't expect you to know everything. I expect you, if you can't find something where you think it should be in under three minutes, you come to ask me where it is. Because it is not their job to sort through craptastic internal content management systems or messy databases like Google Drive or file sharing places to potentially find something that they think might be right, 
because, and I say this with all the possible love in my heart for salespeople, they're just going to do whatever the hell they want. (laughs) (laughs) They'll just do whatever. If they can't find it, they'll make something up and then there goes your message coherence out the window. They'll go rogue for the sake of that opportunity creation, isn't it? absolutely will. (laughs) 100%. There's a lot of stuff you said that we want to like dive into. You said incentives, you said culture that supports sales enablement. And you also just talked about a craptastic database. Let's start there, which is kind of the end, but like craptastic database, how do you take the crap out of your content management systems? How do you build something that sales can navigate quickly? Like I actually go first because at Votero, what I did after realizing that, oh, this is craptastic. I didn't think of that word, but thank you, Matt. (laughs) It's craptastic. It's messy. It's hard to find things. There's a lot of folders that marketing understands, but sales doesn't understand because marketing, obviously, buckets are working to separate categories. So what we did at Otero is create a OneDrive spreadsheet with every piece of content assets Mm. name, It's linked where the latest version specifically lives in the drive, what type of an asset it is, and any other sort of information so people could look up quickly like, oh, this is, I need product content for our API product to send to a a prospect. Like they can literally control F and find something in that database. The problem becomes then you have to train salespeople to go to that database instead of just constantly bugging you because you created this database and it took many, many, many hours and you did it and it's very nice. So now you have to send them over and over and over again, the link. But this, Matt, what do you do? What do you think? How do you make your databases less craptastic? What are you doing? So right now, I always try to limit the number of solutions that salespeople are logging into. couple of reasons. It's basically the same thing, basically the same concept of trying to make things happen quickly. So. If an organization has Confluence, and I know the sales team is regularly logging into Confluence, then I will build really just one page in Confluence that says sales enablement and has things based on what they're trying to do. So my master's degree is in technical writing. There was a strong information architecture component, also a strong biomedical regulatory component because I'm a weird nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's basically this whole idea of the jobs to be done framework in user experience design. So you need to think about it from that perspective. What are your salespeople trying to do? And when you're building out any database, you are building it out in such a way where you make it so they look at it and go, okay, I am working a deal with a large enterprise in financial services, and this is what they asked for. So these are the things that I have to go get. So when you say jobs to be done, could you give a few more examples, like in relation to sales? Yeah. So it's things with contract, like contracts, NDAs. One of the big problems with most file management systems is you will have multiple versions of the same contract. So multiple iterations from multiple years, and you want to make sure that they're always using the latest, most up-to-date thing. That's why I'm actually not a big fan of the OneDrive and file collaboration systems, because unless you get them going into one specific folder all the time, and you are ruthlessly maintaining that, it is way too easy for them to just search keywords 
in this file management system and find multiple copies, then they're just going to pick something that looks good and it may be out of date. So a solution like Confluence, like the Salesforce content tab, or even like Highspot, which if they're listening, give me a free trial for longer and I'll try to use your platform. I anyway, mean, if they're listening, you better sponsor this episode. I'm just you saying. You got to sponsor this episode, High Spot. Come on. I'm name dropping you here. I've told them before that I like their platform. So this wouldn't be a surprise to anyone there. <laughs> but it's a very visual, very sort of organized workflow. So it's very... I don't want to say it's like holding their hands, but it's a little bit like holding their hands. Oh, Matt, just say it. We're all holding sales's hands and guiding them through the content journey and holding we their are. hand and pointing and saying, here In it a is. lot of cases, in a lot of cases, we are. Love you, salespeople. Love all of you. You're some of my favorite people, but still. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. At the beginning, you were saying there were like a couple of things that made sales enablement a part of culture. And there's incentives you can give to sales folks too, to, to look at sales enablement materials seriously. Like, can you talk a little bit about that, Matt? Yeah. So from a cultural perspective, it really starts in terms of like having sales leadership really emphasize that the materials are there and having them say, did you check wherever you host things first. You have to get the sales lead on your side. Now, if you can emphasize that this will help their team close more deals faster, I can't think of a single sales leader who would say no to that. Now, some of them you might have to do a little bit more negotiation with in terms of how you support that and how you position it to them. But ultimately, with sales enablement, your whole goal is to make the deals move faster, to make them smoother, to essentially smooth out the lumps in the sales cycle because you are responding to your prospects' questions in a timely manner with consistent information. And that's really what this is all about. It's about salespeople knowing where everything is, or at least if they don't exactly know where it is, they know how to find it, and then making sure that they're working through all of that and working through a checklist of actions to streamline legitimately everything. Such a good point to partner up with the sales leadership. I mean, I think that's probably the easiest way. And then once you do establish the trust with the rest of the sales team, then you kind of don't have to go to the boss all the time. They'll like you. They'll see that, yes, you do actually produce what you promised and they'll follow through. Exactly. It will sometimes end up being the carrot and stick approach. And unfortunately, the sales leader is the one who can use the stick because the sales reps aren't going to listen to someone from marketing. How do I know what works on selling? I just read 
sales research on what works all the time. I've never done that job. How do I know? How do I know what's actually going to work? I feel like aligning with the sales leader is the answer to all sales problems between sales and marketing. Maria's nodding her head. <laughs> yes. It can be. And if there is no sales leader and it just happens to be the CEO who wants to wear that sales leader hat, it's a recipe for disaster. That's my rant for this episode. Yeah. That's the point where you have to actually align with each individual sales rep. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Skip all of them on your side. <laughs> Which, oh, man. if you emphasize that you are there to make their job easier, you can get most sales reps on your side. This is really my line about making sure that they're able to find something in three minutes or less. That usually wins them over when I say that. Yeah. And I think we can also use the same sort of selling point, pun intended, <laughs> on the operations side of things and getting them to actually use the tools properly and do the right data entry and yeah you know and follow the documented yeah. process <laughs> and always 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 include them as you're creating your materials include them as you're creating your materials as you're creating your programs because they will talk the sales team will talk to customers and prospects and people out in the market way more than we ever will. Even if we spend every day talking to five customers, they're still talking to exponentially more, more often, in more detail. So there's a lot of market knowledge there that they don't even know they have. So if you can solicit that and include them every time you're building your or materials where it makes sense, pitch decks definitely include them. Scripts include them. Contracts, that's not really something that they want to be involved in anyway. So you don't necessarily have to worry about it from that perspective. But even when you're doing things like creating your nurture campaigns, you want them to be a part of the nurture campaign and to give feedback on it because they may have a different perspective and they might have really good ideas. Even if they don't have good ideas, you ask for their feedback anyway. <laughs> what about for the salespeople that love to be on social, the rare unicorns that will actually be very active on LinkedIn and do videos and be a thought leader and do some social selling? What are some ways marketing can help them from a sales enablement perspective? So actually, they're the people who you want advocating for you back to the sales force. Basically, you make that person your best friend. And then you make sure that they have absolutely everything they need, even going beyond what you would normally do for sales, because you know they're going to use it. You know they're going to push it out. And you can use them as an example and as a proof point, a customer validation, if you will, to advocate for you to the rest of the sales team, because they'll see this person getting results from a partnership with marketing. And then they will, then the rest of the sales team will raise their hand if they're paying attention and go, Hey, I want some of that. How do I get in on that? Yeah. The alternative is you just bribe them with bourbon and baked goods until they see that everyone else is getting the goodies. And then they'll say, Oh, I want some of that. If they're very competitive. If there's one thing, if you can tap into the competitive streak in the average salesperson, 
in any way, shape, or form from a persuasion perspective, tapping into that competitive streak is really your best option to get them to use the materials that you're creating. Matt, what are some of the basic sales enablement materials you think are like the most basic ones you should have in a kit of materials for sales folks? Definitely a unified pitch deck. So it's something where it's mod. So when I say unified pitch deck, I don't mean the exact same slides in every single thing. What I mean is a deck that includes a standard set of slides that allows for some customization, but customization within limits. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want them creating their own presentations because I have yet to meet a salesperson who has a graphic design eye and can create good PowerPoint slides. Please, if you're out there, I would love to talk to you. I have one. Whoa. I don't believe you. Yeah, he he works with me. Damien. Damien has... Damien doesn't count. Damien's a skills engineer, okay? He's actually helped on slides before. Okay, Damien doesn't count. Shout out, Damien. (laughs) Shout out, Damien. We love you. Damien will be on a future episode of this podcast, so everybody watch out for that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, with that pitch deck, you want to, again, solicit feedback from your sales team on the pitch deck. Make sure that they understand how it's organized, they understand what they can do with it, and kind of where the customization is. Don't really bother, don't really bother with a sales script. They're not going to follow it anyway. No one will ever follow your sales script, no matter how good it is. Don't bother. Yeah, and everyone has their own style too. I feel like you don't want to have a script. You know, just have your three bullet points and let them improvise. You want it to feel natural anyway. You do. And I mean, you want to have your main points for each slide in the deck and basically say, here's the main points that you should hit on this slide. How you say it, I don't care, but here's the main points. In addition to that, you want to have some educational videos on someone giving the pitch to an actual customer. If you can get it out of like a call recording solution, like a gong or a Sybil or something, that would be preferred. But you can always just have like a friendly customer come in and like be pitched to, to have an example of that so they can see it in action, because that's really important. And then you also, for a sales enablement kit, you want to make sure that you have product trainings at a high level. So they understand and are comfortable and get comfortable with talking about the product in the way that you want them to be talking about the product. You want to make sure that you have handouts for your top industries, for your products. If you can have collateral on any of your use cases, that would be great. And then a few plug-and-play email templates that they can use. So when I say plug-and-play, I mean it's a structured... I did this for crisis communications at a previous company, where basically what it is is you laid out the sections that the email should have, then I would write a few sentences in each section that were options so you could basically just cut and paste and fill in blanks. Oh, that's really cool. That sounds like the the HubSpot feature, the snippets feature. Yeah, essentially that's what it was. And I mean, I think this company, it had taken them like over 30 minutes to get out a outage email before we did this. And then after that, we were able to get an outage email out in like seven minutes with this 
templatized approach. That's massive. It is. It was a huge time savings. Matt, is there any last words of advice before we get into our game on sales enablement, doing better at sales enablement for us marketers to know and absorb so that we can better enable our sales teams, our colleagues with the best approach to help close those deals faster? Always ask for their feedback. When after every sales training, you don't necessarily want to test them on it, although you can if you want to have them be like product certified. And I know there are some sales training programs that do that, but you always ask for their feedback on any training. Like, hey, what did you think about this training? Do you have any questions? And you have that constant, just like we do with our customers and with our prospects, it's the exact same thing. The salespeople are your customers when you're doing sales enablement, and you want to make sure that they are suitably educated. So that's really focus in that direction. Awesome. This has been a really good episode. We'll have show notes recapping some of what you said, Matt, so people can refer back. I think it's time for our game. What do you think, Maria? Yeah. Well, Matt already told us in in the beginning of the episode, so we kind of have to not say teacher, right? Yeah. So, no teacher and no you whatever. You think I did. You think I told you. Ooh. Oh, okay. Good. That's up for the game. All right. So this game, everybody, is we are going to guess if Matt was not in marketing, product marketing, content marketing, cybersecurity marketing, and if he was also not a teacher, because we know that. And I guess also like a doctor, because you did some weird biology thing, <laughs> right? Weird. If he's not a teacher or a doctor, what would Matt be doing? I'll go first this time. Go for it. Matt, I think you would work with superheroes, but superheroes don't exist. So it'd have to be some like job working maybe at Marvel, like writing stories or something, comic books, something like that, or movies (laughs) or something like that. All right, Maria, your turn. (laughs) First of all, superheroes do exist. They're called cybersecurity marketers. Oh, oh! Matt is like hysterically laughing at that. I mean, why? I'm going to start walking around with a cape because seriously, this, the job is... Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday. So Matt, I think if you weren't doing what you're doing today, you'd be a radio show host. Okay. Gianna is the closest. Yes. God damn it. Gianna's the closest. I did do radio for a while. Ooh. No, I did. I did do radio in undergrad. I was the co-host of the morning show on the Utica College radio station for See? about a year and a half. See, I'm getting good at this. Nice. Yeah, I did do radio. Not sure I would ever actually do it <laughs> again. So, Does this count? Because of the money? <laughs> I don't know. It makes- no. Um, <laughs> I say Gianna's the closest because really, if I were not doing this, what I would actually be doing is writing science fiction and fantasy books. Ooh. That's what I would be doing. Have you published a book, Matt? Sort of. I was the co-editor on an anthology 10 years ago now. So my name is on a book that is currently out of print, which I actually probably have copies of it floating around somewhere in my garage. So sort of, but yeah, no, I have not published any novels 
under my own name. If that out-of-print book is somehow linked to on the internet, we'll include it in the show notes. We're going to hunt it down and find it. Pretty sure it isn't. (laughs) Because I'm the one who took it out of print. So I'm pretty sure it's not anywhere. Okay. Fair point. Matt, how do people reach out to you if they want to talk to you either about sales enablement or about your your out-of-print book that now there's going to be such demand for it to get back in print? So you can find me on Slack in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, where I was one of the first 200, 100 members? I don't remember how yeah, small Yeah, you definitely it was. were one of the founding I, members. I, was one of the, sure. I don't remember how small it was when I first joined. I remember Maria promised to do a dance when we hit 200 members. Okay, so then you were definitely there before 200, which I did. Yes, I was there before 200. I don't remember if I was there before 100, though. That's the thing. So I am in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, and I am also relatively active on LinkedIn. Awesome. We will link to those in the show notes. Maria, you've stopped dancing at Milestones. What I happened? Did. I did. Did you get sad? Like, <laughs> no, we just got busy. <laughs> and then I was supposed to do a dance at our RSA meetup in person. It was going to be my first ever in-person dance. You and I, Gianna, we were running around like crazy trying to get people in, trying to sign them in, give them swag. Yeah, I got to start dancing again. You could be the halftime entertainment at Cyber Marketing Con. There you go. I'm going to have to wear a mascot. The costume? <laughs> costume? Like a bird or something? No, a superhero. Because oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, make sure to check out CybersecurityMarketingSociety.com for tickets to Cyber Marketing Con. It is really going to be very good. And if you want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, the podcast this podcast, in fact, send a note to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And also please leave us a five-star review and send me some money. And uh, I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in for the next episode. Drops every Wednesday. Thanks for joining everyone. My cash app is... (laughs) Okay, I'm turning off Gianna's microphone. (laughs) Matt, thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure.